Well, apparently it wasn't a snake like what we have now, but still. That's just puzzling, isn't it? What's really mysterious is why she debated with a creature who was clearly trying to damage her loyalty to her creator. And people have continued that practice ever since. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the fall of man, and our text is in Genesis chapter 3. How do people debate with the devil? Well, for one thing, we listen to and entertain ideas presented by friends or teachers that make us feel good about ourselves, even though they oppose the truths of Scripture. Let's consider how that happens and what we can do to prevent it. Here's Pastor Steve. Remember, he deceives us by thoughts given through those who appear to be servants of righteousness, but they are servants of darkness. And some Christians are so undiscerning that they don't even listen to the doctrine so much. But if somebody gets up and really sounds good, that's what they're impressed by. Well, he's a good speaker. Well, what do he say? He's a good speaker. Well, what do he say? Well, he's really good. Well, words were flowing. And I'm telling you, that's where many Christians are. They have thrown discernment right out the door. And if somebody is just glib and very articulate and well-dressed, he must be good. If he gets a book published, if he has some things written about him, if he's been written up in a magazine, if he's on television, he must be good. You know how you get on television, on radio? You just give enough money. You think they care, except for certain stations? You think they care about doctrinal purity? They don't care about doctrinal purity. Even books that are written. Just because a book is in a bookstore, you think the publisher cares about doctrinal purity? I'm telling you they don't care about it. What they care about is will this sell because nobody's in business to lose money. That's what they care about. So be very, very careful about that. And remember that Satan's target is your mind. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 11.3. His target is your mind. Now, why does he target your mind? Why doesn't he just go after you in other, in other areas? He targets your mind because that's the area where God communicates with you. That's where he reveals his will to you from his word. And that's where he establishes correct thinking that leads to correct living. If the devil can mess up your mind and thinking, he's going to mess up your life. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, so is he. What you think is how you're going to behave. So how do you counter Satan's thoughts? By thinking that's correct and thinking that's godly which means that you have to guard your mind by the truths of the word of God. That's how you evaluate everything. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatsoever things are true, think on these. In other words, if it's not true, don't let it get a foothold in your mind, which means you've got to be on guard. That's why the devil doesn't make you do anything, but he sure tempts you to think the wrong way. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 speak about our, our adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. And then you know what Peter says? Resist him in the faith. Resist him in your faith. Cling to the truths of the faith, the word of God. And that is precisely what Eve should have done. Of course, she didn't have as much revelation as we have. And Eve was deceived. But the very next step after deception is doubt. Doubt. I listened this morning a little bit to Joe Stoll on the radio. How many heard Dr. Stoll on the radio from Moody? He has a radio program. I thought he's always taking my messages here because I'm speaking on doubt. That's, that's not true, but he did speak on doubt. It was very good. But let's, let's look further because deception is the first step and it leads to a second step. And that second step is found at the end of 
verse 1. Indeed, he says this. Indeed, he, he speaks now. Has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Has God really said that? As Satan begins to speak to Eve, he initiates the conversation in the form of a question. And he asks if God really has said that she and Adam can't eat from all the trees in the Garden of Eden. Remember, they were forbidden to eat from from uh, from one tree. They were given all the other trees, but one tree they, they couldn't eat, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, someone may wonder, well, why did God give them a, a prohibition to begin with? Why not say everything? Because with a moral creature, there has to be a moral decision. God didn't make Adam and Eve as robots. Moral behavior is only moral when there's an option to do something contrary. Otherwise, it's not really morality. It's not really morality. In other words, morality is only morality when there's a choice. And so there was a choice, and that's true of us as well. Now, you may wonder also, what's the big deal about this question? You just said, is God really said this? Oh, there's something far deeper than, than just a question. There's a suggestion. There's a suggestion that God is not good. God is not as good as you think. It's a question that is designed to put doubt into Eve's mind about the goodness of God. In other words, here's the thought of this question. Eve, you got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. God didn't really say that, did he? Eve goes on to say, yeah, he did. See, the suggestion is that God is not being fair with Adam and Eve. Because if he was being fair, why would he hold anything back from you? Why would he do that? God is wrong in, in his workings in your life. And here's the wicked subtlety of Satan. And watch this. God gave Adam and Eve a positive command to eat all that they wanted to in the garden, but one tree, fruit from one tree. But only one exception, but you can eat everything else. There's no problem. Everything else, all this freedom. Satan comes along and he does this with us. He twists this freedom around to sound as if God's command is negative. God's command is negative, that he's holding something back from you that's good. Instead of dwelling on all that God has given us, and this is true in our lives, instead of dwelling on all that God has given to us, we tend to be tempted by him, we are tempted by him, and we tend to buy into it because Satan calls our attention to the one and only thing that God hasn't given to us or certain things that God hasn't given to us. You see that demented, twisted thinking? And that's where many of us are at. Rather than dwelling on the goodness of God and how much he's given to us, all we focus on is what I don't have. Why does somebody else have good health and I don't have that? Why does somebody else have a good marriage and I don't have that? What has God given you? But that becomes our focus. Folks, th this is really how, how he tempts us. He suggests to us that the Christian life is too strict. God is too rigid. There are too many negatives in the Christian life. Your God is a killjoy. He just got you saved to mess up your life. He's out to take all the fun and enjoyment out of life. Satan doesn't remind us how much enjoyment there is in knowing the Lord and all that he's given to you. That's where many of us have bought into these, these doubts. If God had my best interests at heart, he would let me do whatever I want to do because I'd feel good. And if God loved me, he knows that I really need this in my life. And I want you to know that uh, one of, of Satan's key tactics is to cast doubt in your mind about God's dealing in your life, your life. 
and you begin to question the integrity of God and his word and the goodness of God primarily, he wants you to question whether God has your best interests at heart. This is what he's been doing with all of us, whether God is holding back some happiness from you. Let me give you some suggestions of how this works, this temptation. If he's so good, then why does he tell you to stay married to somebody that you don't have any feelings for anymore? Why? If he's so good, then how come you don't have as much fun as your unsafe friends? If he's so good. If, if he's so good, then why did he give you parents who are so strict? If he's so good, then why doesn't he let you enjoy the sexual freedoms that you want? If God is so good, why do I have to suffer so much? If God is so good. And those are some, and we could go on and on. I mean, there's, you know, for each of us, there's a whole set of temptations, but they're just like that. If God is so good, why does he put me in this job that I don't like? If God is so good, why do I always have to struggle to pay the bills when others don't? When you start getting thoughts like these, you, what, what, you, what you don't want to do is what Eve did. Now, I understand she was deceived, and there was no sin yet here. But we know better. She carried on a dialogue with the devil. You don't want to do that. You don't want to talk to the devil. Someone asked me years ago, don't you talk to him? I said, no, I have nothing to say to him. I don't want to talk to him. Verses 2 and 3. But Eve had a lot to say. The woman said to the serpents, he asked a question. Well, the devil asks a question, you don't need to answer. But she did. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. Now, let's stop here. She's dialoguing with the devil. She has rehearsed to Satan what God has said. Now, you may wonder a little bit about Eve's sanity here. What's she doing talking to a snake in the first place? Doesn't she know better? Well, she may not have known better. Um, there are a few suggestions as to why she carried on this conversation with the snake. She didn't know it was Satan, by the way. I don't even know if she knew about Satan. But um, she may not have known that animals don't talk. We take that for granted. Adam knew because it was pre he uh, all, God had all the animals parade before him, and he named them, but that was before Eve was created. Remember, he looked at all of them, and he, he realized there was not one suitable for him. You remember that, what he saw Eve, what he was thinking, but he... Okay. Yeah, no, okay, the lights are still here. Now, another suggestion is that it's possible, and, and I don't say that the Bible doesn't teach this one way or another, but it's possible. Someone has suggested that before the fall, maybe snakes, serpents talked. I don't know that. I'm not teaching that. It's pure speculation. It, it would not violate anything in Scripture. We don't know what animals were like before the fall. We don't even know uh, a great deal about Adam and Eve's capabilities before the fall. This probably, though, took place uh, a few hours after, maybe, after she was created, maybe uh, the first day. We don't, you know, I would assume this was very early in her existence. So uh, we give her a break here, and uh, there was nothing wrong with her sanity. She was created uh, in a sinless state, so she didn't do anything wrong. But regardless of why she wasn't shocked by talking to an animal, um, regardless of, of, of that, and carried on a conversation with Satan, we know that we shouldn't. We shouldn't. And, and here's why. Number one, you and I are no match for Satan. Mentally, we're no match for Satan. Eve was unfallen and she was no match for Satan. We have a fallen mind. You will not win if you try to think through issues. By entertaining these thoughts and going back and forth in your mind and dialoguing with the devil, you will lose. 
you will lose. You are no match for him. I am no match for him. That's, that's number one. Secondly, the scriptures tell us not to do this kind of stuff. It forbids us to enter into a dialogue with Satan. And we know this, for example, in Jude verse nine, it says that Michael the archangel, when he was, uh, when he was, uh, fighting with Satan for the body of Moses, says this in Jude verse 9. It says that he didn't bring a railing accusation against the devil. He didn't get into an accusation. He didn't get into his own thoughts. And and here's what I want to tell you. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. That's all he did. Paul, in Acts chapter 13, has a demon-possessed man following him around. And uh, Paul just turns and, and rebukes the man. He said, you're a son of the devil and I rebuke you. But Paul didn't enter into a conversation. Let's sit down and hear what your thoughts are and I'll share mine with you. And let's, uh, he didn't do that. And, and Jesus is the greatest example. When Jesus was tempted, he being God, but only exchanged scriptures with Satan. He used the word of God. That's, that's what we're to do. Now, what should Eve have done? And really, what should we have done? more significantly. Look at James chapter 4. James at the end of the New Testament. James chapter 4, right after the book of Hebrews. James 4. This is the pattern for us. What do you do? James 4 verse 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He doesn't, when he's tempted, he doesn't, he doesn't tempt you all the time. There is a season of temptation. Submit to God, If there's sin in your life, deal with it. Confess it. Repent. Draw close to the Lord. Get back to where you should be. Because you're open prey when you're not walking with the Lord. Submit to the Lord. There's something in your life that's out of whack spiritually. Submit to the Lord and then resist the devil. Now, Eve should have submitted herself afresh to God and his word because now she's entertaining and she's, she's in the process of falling should have submitted herself to God and his word by not talking to Satan anymore, not entertaining his doubts. See, here's the thing. The more you entertain doubt, the more inclined you are to believe the devil's lies. The more you're sucked into it. Ephesians chapter 6, I mentioned it uh, at the beginning of the message, but look at this. This is, In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 is the, the, um, the most extensive teaching in the Bible on how a Christian should deal with the devil. It's the most extensive teaching. We have tapes on it. I believe we even have an album on it called Stand Firm While Under Attack. Uh, if you want more on this, you should get those tapes because we dealt with this verse by verse. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against, here it is, the schemes, the wiles, the tactics, the methods of the devil. And then notice verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. When Satan throws darts at you, you don't stop and start thinking about it, saying, let's talk about this. You don't invite false teachers into your home and say, well, let's have a conversation about error. You let me hear your error. I'll tell you what I believe because uh, you're going to fall. You're not going to convince them and you're going to fall. Paul said, when you have doubts, that come at you, and you cannot avoid doubts coming at you. You can't. You just make sure that you take the shield of faith and trust in the word of God and stop entertaining those doubts. And the shield of faith uh, is, is your faith in the word of God. That's why Paul told Timothy not to even think about false teachings and myths circulating around him. Don't, don't 
get into it. Don't even entertain that. Don't dialogue with cults and with teachers and things like that. Instead, you take up the shield of faith when you're tempted to doubt God and you focus your mind on the goodness of God, on how much he has given you, on truths about God that you do know. You know, Habakkuk is a great illustration of this. Habakkuk lived in a very difficult time. The judgment of God was coming on the nation. The Babylonian invasion was was coming. Habakkuk was terrified. He began to doubt about God's goodness. And uh, the prophet was told about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. And you go through Habakkuk, and you see in chapter 1, he said, I know that you are a holy God and are of pure eyes and to behold iniquity. In other words, Habakkuk was saying, I don't understand. I can't reconcile these doubts in my mind. Why, if you're so good, you're bringing this... Uh, this devastating tragedy upon us, but I know that you are the Holy One and you are too pure to even look upon sin. I I don't understand this, but I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to dwell on what I know for sure. And, And that's a great pattern for us. When doubts assail you, then you go to a truth in Scripture that you don't have any doubts about and you camp there and and you remind yourself how much God has given you and how good he is and a truth that you can rest assured in. Now, this morning, we're, we're going to stop here, and um, we want to think about a few things. We want to think about what we've studied. I, my prayer for you today is that you will not go out of here saying, that was interesting. Um, I, I, you know, yeah, I understand that in theory. My prayer for you is that you will go out of here being much more aware of Satan's deceptions in your life and doubts that you need to uh, deal with. And I'd like us for that to just kind of bow our, our hearts, our heads, close our eyes. And I want to ask you several questions. Question number one is really not so much a question for you as much as for you to ask God to show you where there might be some satanic deception in your life. I'd like you to ask God that where there might be false thinking, false teaching in your life, maybe some advice you're getting that sounds very impressive, maybe even coming from people with great uh, academic credentials, but it could be hellish. Some teaching that makes you feel good, but it's counterfeit. Satan is subtle. He doesn't come as a demon, but as an angel of light to deceive you. And so in a few moments, I'm I'm going to let silence come upon us, and I I want you to ask God, and I'm asking him too in my life, where might my thinking be influenced by Satan's deceptions? Secondly, I want you to think this morning if there's something, some reason that you're annoyed at God for, something that you're really annoyed at God. Christians get annoyed at God. If you feel like God has shortchanged you, and maybe you're a cranky person to live with, but it's because you're annoyed at God. Is it suffering? Is it a bad marriage? Illness? Not being allowed to do certain things? You've got to stop entertaining these thoughts and begin to think on verses that stress how much God has done for you. And in the midst of that, you need to thank him for what you do have, not complain and get annoyed about what you don't have. God is good. He knows what's best for you. I'm going to let us be quiet for a few minutes. I want you to ask him, is there anything specifically, not general terms, but that your thinking has been influenced by satanic deception? 
And secondly, is there something you're annoyed at God for? You need to confess that and repent. Then I'll close in prayer. Father, I, I do pray for each one here. We're certainly not immune to the devil's tactics. I pray that you will bring by the Holy Spirit to our minds any thinking that is not right. Lord, anything that, that someone here might be involved in that sounds good, maybe it's something they've, they've gotten off of um, the media. I, I just pray that you will help us to be alert to thinking that's deceptive under the guise of what's right, but it's so wrong. Lord, help us to be alert and aware of those things. Aware of those things. And I pray for each one here. Secondly, Lord, that you'll bring to their minds in any way if there's an annoyance with you, if they think that you have not been good to them, there's some resentment there, some anger directed at you. Perhaps an illness, perhaps a condition, perhaps a, a child you've given them, a situation. I pray, Father, that you will bring about repentance. Certainly, Lord, with that, the change of thinking and heart, the right responses. I pray you'll bring to their mind how good you are, how much you've given. Pray for those who really struggle with comparing themselves to others, why they don't have what others have, and, and feeling like they just got some uh, bad deal in life. I, I pray that you'll change that thinking. You are good. You are right. You are perfect. You never make a mistake. And Lord, you have been so good to us. And I know the, the, the greatest good that you have done is sending your son to die for our sins. And I pray that uh, those here who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you, who have never trusted the Savior, I pray that you will bring to their attention, Lord, more than anything else, their wickedness, their, their need for repentance and faith in the Savior, and that they would trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Satan is indeed powerful, crafty, and intelligent. But he is no match for God. So let's let God be our protector as we resist the devil and submit to God. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is taking us a verse at a time through Chapter 3 of Genesis for a look back at the temptation of Eve and the fall of mankind. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. Or you can call the office at 727-441-1714 for service times and directions. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. At that number, you can also ask for a free audio CD. Ask for message 1608, The Temptation of Eve, Part 1. Another way to listen is through the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org. There's also a convenient giving page if God has been blessing you through these Bible lessons and you'd like to help with the cost of airing Verse by Verse. Thank you for your gifts and for your prayers. Once again, it's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. As I imagine you probably know, tugboats don't turn large ships by meeting them head on. They nudge them from the side, and before long, that ship can do a total 180. 
We've seen over the past three broadcasts that Satan used a multi-step strategy to turn Eve around 180 degrees as well. First was deception. He posed as a harmless creature. In those days, every creature was harmless, or should have been anyway, so why not have a chat? His next step, though, was doubt. He questioned the veracity of God's word. He said, has God said? So on the next verse by verse, Pastor Steve will show us Satan's third step, which was outright denial of God's truths. I hope you can join us. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. It's Andrew Southwick for Faith Talk 570 and 910, and we want to thank you. As many of you know, we partnered with Food for the Poor to provide life-saving food for children in desperate need. Our original goal was to feed 541 children. And because of what God did through you, we 